Hi, and welcome to the Building Gen Wealth Podcast. My name is Andrea, and I am a Latina money coach for ambitious, driven women of color who want to do more with their money. In this podcast, we'll dive into all things money, from tackling debt, to increasing your savings, to learning how to invest so your money works for you, as well as the mindset you need to unapologetically build generational wealth as a woman of color. I'll help you build a five-figure bank account on your way to a six-figure net worth. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the BGW podcast. I am super excited about this episode because I have asked a friend of mine to come join us for a conversation. Um, And this particular friend I met about a year ago and um, she has navigated going into law school and um, taking out loans and just kind of walking that process from a very financially like informed place since she's also a money coach. And I thought, how cool would it be to just um, have that conversation with her, talk about her experience, some things she learned, some like tips that she can give to us. So yeah, I would like to introduce you guys to Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Andrea. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, By way of an introduction, I'm a first year law student at Columbia Law School. And as you said, I'm also a personal finance coach. Um, I took several years off between undergrad and grad school. So my perspective will be very informed by that. Um, Before coming to law school, I worked in the think tank world. I lived abroad. I worked at a law firm, multiple political campaigns. And now I'm here in New York and it's been awesome. And I'm excited to chat about that with you. Nice. Cool. Where did you go abroad? That was like, (laughs) when you said that, that was like instantly like, where did you travel? (laughs) I lived in Taiwan for a year, actually. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Like what brought you there for a year? I did a Fulbright right after graduation. Oh, God. So it. it was a very cool experience and a lot of fun. Nice. That's awesome. Well, cool. Um, so let's just, I guess, tell us a little bit about, um, like your money journey. How did that start? Right. Like, I think everybody has a, especially if you're like in the money space or a money coach or a personal finance creator, you have like a story of how you even got here. Right. So like, what is that for you? I think for me, money has always played a very important role in my life, whether or not I was always aware of it. Growing up, my family was always very blessed in the sense that we were never wanting for anything, but there was always this understanding that that could change um, with very little um, change in circumstances. And so I think that always created a feeling of impending uncertainty um, and insecurity, which thankfully never materialized, but which made me very aware of the importance of financial security. And I honestly think it's part of the reason I was always so laser focused on my academics was because I always viewed that as a golden ticket to security. Um, Mm -hmm. So very different than I think the traditional approach, which is very focused on achievement and doing all these things. For me, it was like, yes, that's interesting, but also I just want to feel secure. Yeah, Um, And so- that's kind of my my background. Um, I think my parents were always very good at conserving resource, 
um, resources, but they weren't necessarily great at building wealth. And so for me, that was something very important to learn. And once I did, I wanted to pass that on to other women, specifically women of color and women who might not have the background, the family background to really understand that aspect. Yeah. That's so interesting. The concept or the idea of conserving wealth versus building wealth, um, I think is like your story resonated with me in the sense that I also searched for security uh, in money. Um, I think you kind of anchored it to like law school and education. To me, security meant like I had a really big savings account. So if anything were to happen, like that was my security blanket. Um, but it uh, it really did come from like a, a perspective of like conserving wealth, um, which I think to a certain degree is a good thing. Like you want to, conserve, like you want to have it and keep, um, it there for those reasons. But I think for me, anchoring that belief that this was the thing that made me secure, um, made it very hard to then spend that strategically or invest that strategically because it, it almost was like, I had to tell my brain, no, <laughs> we're, we're not, it's because they've, if my brain had anchored, like, this is how we are safe. And so if you do anything against that, you are making us unsafe. And I had to like unlearn that I actually don't get security from this. It comes from other places and it's not this. So yeah. Anywho, when you said that, I was like, I had a similar experience. It's just a little bit different that we anchor what security means to different things. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think it also presents a little bit of a hurdle when you have to do something like invest, which is so critical for building wealth. But if you've been raised in an environment where saving is the most important thing and we don't take those kinds of risks and we keep our money under the mattress, whether that's literal or metaphorical, <laughs> but it's just <laughs> very hard to overcome that sometimes, especially I think as you know, I'm the oldest child in an immigrant household. And so there's a sense of responsibility yeah. that I have to be extra careful with what I do with my money and making sure that the risks I take are very calculated. Got it. Yeah. I have, I'm the youngest. It's only my brother and I, but I feel like I have heard, especially with Encanto coming out and so many like yes. uh, older children, just like resonating um, with, oh, I can't remember her name. Louisa. Louisa. Um, yeah. Um, how like that does play a role in, in even how you are with money. So that is interesting. Um, okay. So you reach this point where you're like, all right, I want to build wealth and I want to learn how that that is. And then I also want to teach others. Like, how did you come to be a money coach? Like, tell us that story. And that's actually where you and I met. <laughs> yes, that is how we met, which is great. Um, I honestly did not think I would ever be doing this. I came across Judy Hear Me Finances page right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'd always been very interested in entrepreneurship. But to me, that was equated with risk in my mind. And again, I was always so scared of squandering resources or putting money into something that didn't pay off. And so there was always this very real fear. But at the same time, I think the pandemic, when everything ground to a halt, it gave me more time to think not only about what was happening in the world, but also how that was impacting my community and my family and the sense of uncertainty that we all felt about losing our jobs, about not having emergency funds. 
I remember my parents telling me, you know, we wish we'd listened to you and invested and done all these things. And so I thought, well, maybe this is a conversation that we need to be having at a broader level. And then I signed up for Judy's mastermind on a whim and I've absolutely loved it. And I think it's really changed my perspective on life so much to the extent that I think it even impacts the way I approach law school, which has been so phenomenal and definitely not the journey I expected, but I'm very glad that it worked out this way. Nice. Okay. So you said one thing, which is how it impacts your law school experience or has shifted some things. So I want to come back to that. But the thing that you did say um, that I think is so important is um, that that level of like risk taking, right? Like, hey, I'm going to take some of this money that I've saved and I'm going to quote unquote risk it, like invest it in yourself, invest it in Mm -hmm. your knowledge um, and your skill set so that you know, you can see a payoff and and you can, um, you know, see how that has actually impacted. I think that that is like the thing that stops a lot of, especially savers. So I'm talking specifically like savers, um, which is like, I identify as a saver who's like now comfortable spending. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like there is this real fear and and this, like, I don't want to waste this. I, like, I know for me, that was like a big thing. I don't want to be wasteful. I don't want to like make the wrong move. Um, what, would you say was the thing that like really mo- like the thoughts that motivated you to see this not as like an expense, but like really see it as an investment for yourself? If I don't bet on myself, how am I supposed to convince other people to bet on me? Mm. <laughs> and I think that for me was the ultimate decisive uh, factor. And the other thing is that I don't, want my life to be ruled by fear. I think we, and this is a cliche, but we regret what we don't do more than what we do. And so for me, I looked at it as 30 years down the line, am I going to regret not taking a chance and at least dipping my toe into this arena and seeing what it's like? If it doesn't work out, then fine. It's not like I'm betting the house. I was still very conservative. I uh, you know, didn't take money from my emergency fund or anything like that. It was a very calculated risk. But I also think that understanding my finances allowed me to move forward with that. But I do think that your point about investing in yourself is so important. And it's so hard, I think, sometimes as women to really feel confident enough in what we have to offer to take a chance on ourselves. And that is so important. I just never want to be ruled by fear. And so when I feel that my decisions are being fundamentally motivated by that, I have to dig deeper and explore why that is and decide whether it's rational or not. And most of the time it's not. So I go ahead and do what I'm afraid of. Yeah, that's so good. I think that a lot of times um, what you do and what you said is so important because you stop to think about like, what actually is this fear, right? Because it's the same as money. If we don't look at like our finances, mm-hmm. it feels like so overwhelming. And it's just because like, wait, you just don't like, you just don't see the whole picture. Same with fear. Like if you don't define like, what actually are you scared of? It just feels almost like not bearable. And so it like stops you from taking action, right? You're kind of like response is fight, flight or freeze, 
most people just like, we're just not going to do anything because I'm so scared. I don't really even know. I just like, no, it's bad. (laughs) But then when you take them through that like path of like, okay, worst case scenario, this would happen. And you just let your mind go there, right? Like all of these bad things happen. And then, and then a rock fell on my car, like all, like just crazy scenarios of like, this is the literal worst thing that could happen. You actually start seeing like, these are likely not going to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then you start separating, like, this is rational. This is a little bit irrational and kind of start navigating that way. Um, but yeah, I think that that is a good thing to, to like, that is a skill. like the ability to take risk, calculated risk, and, and even gauge what that is for you is such an important part of building wealth. And I think that, um, like even understanding what that is for you will help you navigate like finances in, in, in your way, right? Like you said, um, your risk was calculated. You didn't take from your emergency fund. My experience is a little different when I first invested in my business. Like I took a little part from my emergency fund. Um, but I also felt like, okay, I could re- like, I could replenish this, like my level of risk for that felt comfortable. And I think that that's just like important to say, like everybody's r- level of risk is different, but you do have to exercise your version of risk and your level of risk because it is part of building wealth. Um, so just want to no, know. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's such a good point that everybody's risk calculus is so different and that you have to honor that and be okay with that. Because I think a lot of times we look at what's out there on the internet and we're like, we need to be investing in crypto and all these things. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's not my level of risk and that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Cool. Um, alrighty. So you're a money coach and you're, you know, starting to like, uh, well, not starting to you're a money coach. You have clients, you're putting out personal finance content, but you're at the same time in your life where you're wanting to go to law school. And, um, with that, you know, is going to come like, I'm going to take out loans. How did you like, walk through that process. I think a lot of times people ask me like, how much do I take out? Like, because, and I think it's because when we first did it in undergrad or when people first did it in undergrad, it really was like, oh, this is just what I'm supposed to do. Like, here's what I'll take out. And there wasn't really like a way, like a strategic way people approached it. And so, yeah, I'd be interested to hear like, what was your process for determining, um, and you don't have to like share specific numbers. You could just say like, this is what I did. And here's, you know, like how I calculated. Um, but yeah, what was that like for you? So I want to start off by saying that the difference in experience between my financial borrowing in undergrad and now is so huge. And the stress that has been relieved just by understanding what my finances are and having a strategy behind this is unparalleled. And so if any of your listeners are thinking about going to grad school, law school, med school, schools that have these really big price tags, focus on your finances, work through it. Really, it pays off so much to go in knowing what you're doing, even if you are taking out a lot of debt. So for me, that process looked like being incredibly sure that I wanted to go to law school. I was one of those kids who everybody told, oh, you'd be a great lawyer. So naturally I didn't want to go to law school. So I really exhausted every opportunity. (laughs) I thought I was going to get a PhD, then a master's. And then I 
finally decided that this was the best route for me, but it took me four years between undergrad and now um, to really make that decision and feel comfortable with it. So I think a lot of it is exploring and making sure that this gigantic decision that you are taking is the right one for you. And I think a lot of times we're told to go straight out because if you don't, you're not going to go back. But I think that's really telling in and of itself, because if you really want to do something, you'll make it happen. And if you're finding that after two years in the workforce, this isn't something that you're passionate about, then great. Don't take out six figures in debt to do something that you're not passionate about. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, Another part was deciding how my undergraduate loans played into my graduate school financial calculus. I personally did not want to have that hanging over my head. Um, And so I really took time to pay down that debt, simultaneously investing. I'm one of those people who thinks that you can pay off debt and invest. I wanted to go in (laughs) with a little bit of a a nest egg because Mm -hmm. like when I graduate, I'll be almost 30. And so for me, it didn't make sense to wait until that point to start saving for my retirement. So that was really important. And then once I'd done that, I started thinking, okay, how much do I personally want to contribute without taking out loans to my education? So for an example, this my school is 108000 per year. So that's 324000 for your law school degree. That's not including financial aid, grants, scholarships, nothing. But I did use that number to one, calculate the cost of living in New York City, how much I would spend a week at Per gro- or on groceries. And I talked to students at Columbia and I asked them, my LSAT tutor actually went to Columbia as well. And so I asked her, how much did you spend on groceries? Where did you go? And so that helped me get a sense of like how much my day-to-day life would cost me. And then based off of that, I calculated how much I would need to live for a year in New York City. And then I saved that amount. And my goal is to always fund my living expenses out of my own pocket and only take out loans for tuition. That's been my strategy so far. So I think thinking about things in a very detailed way can be very, very helpful in the long term. Yeah, no, that's great. Because I think a lot of times it's the unknowing of like, uh, how much is going to going to that is that going to be that kind of makes the decision a little harder and more gray but the fact that you talk to people who actually went there and like hey realistically like what what am i going to spend i thought i think is so so big um so you say your goal was to save um a year of living expenses going into law school yes and then are you allowed to work while you're in law school cuz i know that some programs don't let you. So how do you, is it like you saved three years worth or are you working in the summer? Like what is your plan for that? (laughs) Yeah. So my income is zero. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand about law school specifically is that I don't know any one of my classmates who is working. This is actually the first time that I haven't worked since I was maybe 16, which is wild to me. Um, I worked like four jobs in undergrad at the same time. I feel like I have such a handle on my schedule just by not working, but it also presents a very real financial constraint if not approached carefully. And so for me, I say for that one year, 
with the understanding that I would be going to a firm this summer and using that money to cover my second year. It's a lot of pressure because those positions are competitive your first year. But I also knew that for me, it was just a very necessary piece of the financial puzzle and coming in as well with an understanding of the difference in salaries between different types of law, I think is very important. So a lot of times we hear, oh, lawyers make good money. And that's not necessarily true at all. So if you're a public interest lawyer and you want to go into, say, immigration law, your internships are going to be unpaid. At least at Columbia, we get some funding, but that funding barely covers your rent for the summer, which is something that I think that there needs to be more transparency around because when you go the corporate way, you are making about 10 times what you would be funded as a public interest student. So all those calculations are important. But to answer your question, yes, I'm saving for the, I saved for the first year and now I'm going into summer saving for the second, next summer saving for the third. Got it. Okay. So the that's like the plan. Yes. Nice. Um, so, okay. You calculated, this is what I want to save for my first year. And then this is how much law school will be in general. And then, um, did you, uh, like how, how did you go about like figuring out when to pull the loans? Um, how to do that? Like walk us through that process. So that process you get pretty much it's very straightforward from that on behalf of the school, they'll send you the notes um, and they'll ask how much you need to take out. And you'll get an email from the federal uh, loan borrowing service. And it's very much like undergrad. So it's not really, you're not taking out private loans necessarily. Um, law schools allow you to borrow up to the cost of attending. So if you really wanted to take out a full year's tuition and loans, you could do that. So I think the important thing to remember is, do you want to do that? Because your debt now is going to factor into your life in 10 years. And I think that while getting a law degree is amazing and we need more women, we need more people of color, people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, but we also need those folks to go in with a very real awareness of what it means to have 180K in debt right out of graduation and how that's going to affect whether you want to get a mortgage or help out your parents with their retirement, all of it plays into each other. And we're not having those conversations. Yeah. Um, what about, I know, cause some people talk about like scholarships and um, like all of those things. Like what was your process in walking through those? Did you have a goal of like, I want to apply to this many things and get this um, amount of scholarship money? Like, how was that? I had goals. Yes. <laughs> they materialize. Um, I think it's really tough to juggle both the application cycle and putting out a large volume of scholarship applications as well. Some people have done it beautifully. I did not execute it as well, but I also got grants from Columbia and from other schools. And so I leveraged the money that I got from other places to get Columbia to match. And so that grant money factors into my financial calculus as well. But there are a lot of scholarships out there, especially for one else. So if you are in the middle of your cycle, apply now because it's just harder as a two or three L to find the scholarships. 
but also for summer jobs, a lot of these firms have scholarship programs. So if you go the first summer on top of your salary, you'll get $10,000. If you come back, you get another 10,000 or whatever. So there are scholarship opportunities along the way, but I highly recommend and always look up whether a school allows you to negotiate their offer award. But if they do, make sure that you are having those conversations because often they will match. Yeah. What did that look like for you? And were you nervous? Like, how did you, because I think negotiating for women is an intimidating, can be an intimidating topic. And then like the biggest question is like, how do you even approach that? What do you say? How do you, because I think we fight this like, this feeling of like, I should be grateful. I shouldn't ask for more. I already Mm -hmm. got this. Like how, who am I to ask for more? Which I, I, (laughs) there is a Columbia professor who actually wrote a book recently called ask for more about negotiating, which I highly recommend people read. Um, (laughs) But I, I totally agree with you. I think it's hard and scary to advocate for yourself. I think that barrier for me has significantly lowered. I don't really feel nervous about negotiating just because it's part of the process. And I think when you understand that everybody is doing it and that it's expected, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage if you're not engaging in that as well. So I never look at it as something that I am doing that is abnormal. It's just what I'm doing because... I need to look out for myself the same way that everybody else is doing it. And these institutions expect it. So I just got an award offer from another school that I really wanted to make sure that my school was aware of. So I sent them an email. I attached the award. I followed up many, many times (laughs) with the financial office until they got back to me um, and they ended up matching it. And so, and it wasn't even like a comparable school in terms of ranking. And a lot of times you are told to not negotiate unless the school is very close to your school. So for example, NYU or Harvard or Chicago, you negotiate with those um, types of schools if you're coming to Columbia and saying, hey, match this. Mine was not. And I ignored that advice and it worked out. So also take what people tell you with a grain of salt. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I bet you were like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did this. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if like everybody's advice was like, oh, you know, that you don't do this or you don't do that. Sometimes it's like, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the input. I'm going to, these are my rules. These are my like money rules. Yeah. This is what I'm going to decide to do. And I think so. that's true with personal finance as well. Mm. Everybody's going to have a different process. And so if somebody's saying like, this is how much you need in your emergency fund, and you're like, no, I need more to feel comfortable, that's okay. And that's your process. So I think just protecting your preferences is really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how, and then I, I, I like said that I pinned this and I never went back to it, <laughs> but I'm like, I remembered, um, how did your, because you said at the beginning, like, Hey, I, I made this investment and that's kind of shifted my, some things and even how I'm approaching law school. So let's talk about that. But then another thing that I want to also go to is like, how did the, like, how did your awareness and knowledge of money affect the, the, um, 
just even seeing the amount of loans that you had? Did you think about it differently than you did when you were in um, undergrad? Did the numbers still scare you? Was it still a little intimidating? Or were you like, I got a plan. I got like, you know, what, like how, how much of that um, impacted or affected that? Yeah. So first, let's so start with the, the, the way that, <laughs> that, that it shifted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in terms of shifting my perspective, I honestly just think I trust myself more. And I think that's I a love huge... that. Yeah, Sorry. it's so did great. You, did you, I don't know, no one saw my reaction, but I love that that is um, something that you see because trusting yourself with money and your money decisions mm-hmm. is huge. All right, go it's ahead, continue. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. And it just gives you so much confidence that filters into other areas of your life. I did not use social media until 2017. And then I didn't consistently use it until I started my money coaching program. And I was always so worried that people would be judging me or that I would make a fool of myself. And honestly, posting and working with women and seeing the results they're having just gave me so much confidence and trust in what my business's mission was or is. And I really think that it affects the way that I interact in the classroom, in the way that I'm more willing to raise my hand and offer my opinions. And just in the way that I'm approaching the financial aspect of law school as well, I don't think I have, to your second question, the same level of stress by any means that I had in undergrad. I was so stressed in undergrad. I didn't know where the money was going. I was working all the time, but every time I'd go get coffee, I'd be so stressed because I had no idea where that was coming from. I had no idea what my money was doing ever. I just kind of closed my eyes and hoped for the best, which hope is not a strategy. So (laughs) it wasn't going well. And I just wish that I had the knowledge I do now then, because anytime that I wasn't stressed about exams or doing my readings or whatever, in the back of my head, there was this thing that told me I was not stewarding my money the way I needed to be in order to make my parents' sacrifices pay off. They worked so hard so that I wouldn't be in the same financial situation that they were in their entire adult lives. And to me, it just felt like this huge burden and shame at not having figured it out and be doing better. And like, I'm 18, 19, but I do think that for me, it was like, I understood that it was something that I, the earlier I started it, the better it would be. And so now I just don't have that. And it's such a, Honestly, it's like such a great mental health improvement um, over my undergrad years. And I don't think we often talk about the effect that personal finance has beyond our wallets. Like to me, it's not about money. And I'm sure like, I don't know how you feel about that, but I just feel like it's peace of mind. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that because I think money and the arena of money, like, yes, there's the numbers, there's the growth, there's the interest. Sure, sure, sure. There's all the money things, but I'm like, oh, guys, what you're missing (laughs) is everything else that you get from a money journey, right? Like even you just saying like, 
I trusted my like self with my decisions, like that self-trust and making those decisions, I think is so important. Um, the way that like that investment changed, even how you show up in, in, um, law school and like in the classroom is so big. Like, right. That was a money decision that kind of fueled a little bit of like who you are. Um, you're, you're t- like, I'm building your business and your time and entrepreneur and entrepreneurship also kind of shifted your, the way, yeah, the way they sh- you show up, um, the, yeah, the knowledge impacted like your mental health. Like there's so much in the money space that you can grow and develop as a person beyond just like, I have a fully funded emergency fund and I'm investing and I'm going to be a retired a millionaire in retirement. Like those are great things, right? Like shoot yes. for those. I want you to have those, but man, like the, the skill sets and the things that you get from even starting a money journey are so much more impactful. And I think so much more going to shift things in your life beyond just like the money in the bank account. So yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I'm like, yes, <laughs> you get so much more from a money journey than just like the money part of it. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so last, I know, I feel like I'm like, we could talk all day. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to talk all day with you. I love our conversations, but I want to also ask about, um, what about the, um, repayment plan? Like, how do you, how do you want to approach that now? What is your, how are you thinking about it while you're in law school? And then once you graduate, like, um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. So, before even starting law school, I created a repayment plan based off of the full price tag for Columbia. So off of 324000 assuming I wouldn't get any scholarships, any financial aid. And then I know what my salary will be after graduation because I know what the standard is in the industry that I'm going into. And so I used that and calculated how much I would gross after taxes if I lived in either New York or DC. And then I used that to calculate how much I'd have to contribute per month to pay off my debt quickly. I don't know that I'm going to stick to that necessarily. I think it's a very aggressive plan that I have at the moment. And it's what I used to pay off my undergrad loans, but I'm not convinced that the trade-off of paying off debt versus also focusing on growing my retirement account, especially since I just took three years without an income, is the best idea. So there's a lot of leeway there. I'm not sure how I'm going to approach it necessarily, whether I'm going to take the quick like 48-month approach or if I'm going to maybe take a little longer and invest more aggressively. But I think Honestly, the numbers are available to you to kind of play around with and see what a repayment strategy would look like. I plan on starting right after I graduate because I'm not doing like a loan forgiveness program with the federal government. Um, There are schools that have loan repayment assistance programs, and so they can help you pay off your loans if you're going the public interest route. But I know that that won't be my case. And so... I'm just calculating off of my own salary. Got it. Okay. So I think that's good to even know, like I planning is great and you want to have an idea of like, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want it to look like. But you're also like, this is three years out. Like there's so many different like things that might come up, details, things, even things that like 
you, you now versus you in three years will think about differently. So, um, I think like going into something like that is like, you want to have like an idea of what you want it to look like, what you think it would look like, but like also having the flexibility and leeway of like, you know, it might end up, I might end up thinking about it differently, or I might end up just going in this route. Um, and that's fine. And I think that you have more freedom and, confidence doing that when you understand how all of the things kind of work together. I agree. And I think just giving yourself grace and like knowing that things do shift and that's okay. And I think there's this like constant refrain in the personal finance community, which is not bad that, you know, paying off debt aggressively and like being debt free and like this amount of time is amazing. And it is, I've done it. It's great but it doesn't necessarily work for every situation. And I also think that I'm at the point where I've spent the last five years being so frugal with my money, like really frugal. And I don't know that I want to be that strict once I graduate. Um, And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be responsible with my money, but it might mean that my budget incorporates other things other than paying down debt and eating. Yeah. And I think that that's, there's different seasons, right? Like there's a season in my life where I was like, I want to get the, my biggest priority is getting there as fast as possible with this thing, with this goal. And that's all I, that's all I spent money on. Like it, it was essentially yeah, eating this. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, if you make a conscious decision to do that, I'm all for that. Right. Like, I think I, I have also been in that situation where like, it wasn't driven by like a conscious, like, this is what I'm choosing decision. And I'm okay with like, I like my reason. And there was a time where I, um, did the same thing with same circumstance, get there as fast as possible, but it was driven out of fear. And so that was like, you just have to be like, you have to know yourself, be very aware of like, why am I doing this? Like this, do I like my reason? Is this conscious or like subconscious? Um, And so, yeah, I think that that's important to say because it's, I think part of personal finances is people get to decide how they want to like approach a goal or, or, um, approach a season in their life. And if it's like, Hey, right now, my conscious decision is this is the priority. And I'm going to like full sprint towards it for like three months, six months, whatever that period is. Um, that's fine. Um, like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But that then, then it's like, know that at that pace, you probably won't be able to run for 30, 40 years. Like there has to be space and breathing room for you. And I think like, you're seeing, like, even you're like, uh, reflecting on like, Hey, I did that there. I don't want to do that again. I want to give myself more space. I want to, um, make that conscious decision. And the effects of it is, you know, maybe I won't pay off my debt as soon as possible. And I'm okay with that. Like that's fine. (laughs) So, yeah. And there's so many added expenses too to law school that I don't think I even factored in last summer that now I'm thinking, okay, well I have to pay for a bar prep course and I need to figure out rent while I'm studying for the bar and I'm unemployed. And when I get an apartment, I'm going to have to put in first month rent and maybe last month rent um, before I get my first paycheck. So where is that coming from? And so there's all these little things that you also have to think about that pop up along the way. And I think it's so important to not 
berate yourself or be upset that you didn't think about it earlier Mm -hmm. and just kind of recognize that life is life. Things come up and that's okay because you have the tools in your toolkit to figure it out. And at the end of the day, that's what financial empowerment is. It's not knowing all the answers. It's just knowing that if you see a problem, you can get the answer because you know how to look for it. Yep. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Oh, cool. It's life-changing. Um, <laughs> I want to also just do like a quick, like rapid fire list from you. If someone is like okay. wanting to um, like, you know, start looking into getting uh, law uh, or getting loans for graduate school, what are like the five most important things that you're like, this helped me a lot here's what I recommend you doing or looking into. Like in terms of thinking about taking out loans or- Yeah, like thinking about taking out loans or, and um, yeah, like how, like how the best things that they could do to prepare now as they're like thinking about taking out loans for, for graduate schools. I would say the big one is pay off consumer debt because that affects your credit score your credit score affects your eligibility for some graduate school loans. That's really important. Also, like I said, you don't have an income. So paying off consumer debt while in school is tough and you can't borrow for that. Um, So that's really important. I think also doing your research and looking at what kinds of schools you're applying to. Unfortunately, law school is very rankings based. And that's not to say that you can't do X, Y, or Z if you go to a school that's ranked a certain number. I don't believe that, but I think that you have to also be very practical and think if I want to go into big law, what schools are going to facilitate me making that salary straight out? If I want to go into public interest, what schools provide the best funding to enable me to do that? So I think that's also really important. I also think just taking time to figure out whether law school is for you is critical. I cannot stress that enough. Read whatever you need to, look at blogs, reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about it, but just make sure that it's right for you and not something that you're just doing for some other reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think talk to your financial aid office once you do get in. Those folks are there to help you and I think asking questions is so important before you take out any loans. Um, And I would say the last one, and and this is not for everyone, but I would talk it over with someone you trust, whether or not they're necessarily financially equipped to advise you. I do think getting someone else's perspective who knows you, your personality, how you react with risks, how you've managed your student loans in the past, I think that can also help give you a perspective on whether your current approach is realistic. Um, And that's something that I did a lot and it was really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Just because sometimes we're so in our own headspace that like that outside perspective really could be like, "Uh, you actually, I know that that's what you think you do or will do it. Sometimes we need that like, okay, you're right. You know me, you know me, uh, and see me from a different lens, obviously. Um, well, 
Cool. This has been a great conversation. I'm so excited. Yeah. That you just shared your experience and we got to, um, just hear your journey and perspective. Um, but yeah, where can people still connect with you? Um, let us know. The best way to reach me is on Instagram at your wealth legacy. I am always on there. Happy to chat. And I'm very serious. Any questions about applying to law school or loans, I'm happy to answer them. We need more women, more women of color in these fields. And I'm always happy to be a resource. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So guys head over there and follow um, her. And you also have a money coaching program as well. So if you are interested in, um, I think money is, so here's my perspective on people and money coaches you want to find the person that is like your person (laughs) because you're going to have the best experience with them. And I want that for people. So if you are like, oh my gosh, like I'm in the same boat, like I want her help, go for it, go. Like, I think there's so much, there's so many of us that just want to feel good and comfortable with money and you want to find the person that's going to walk you through that. So if you're interested in working with her, she also offers that as well. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. That was a blast. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thanks for hanging out. If you're ready to get serious about your money, but you need the support to make it happen, I want to invite you to my one-on-one money coaching program. In this program, I help you build the confidence around your money so you can start building a five-figure bank account on your way to a six-figure net worth. Just head over to at building.gen.wealth on Instagram and apply in the link in my bio. I'll see you there.